Hey, it's Michael, and we're back to break down episode six of Lego Masters on my podcast, Talk Bricks Masters. This week, I sit down with season two's Moto and Brian to break down this episode and figure out how well the builders were able to replicate things. Plus, I'll be back early next week with my exit interview with the team that went home, and there's even a special guest this week. Plus, of course, we'll be back next Saturday to break down episode seven with another panel of your favorite former Lego Masters. So with all that out of the way, let's jump into the episode six recap. Well, it took a detective to figure out which builds were Lego and which ones weren't. So I needed to bring in two of the most, you know, illustrious Lego gumshoes that exist uh, to help us break down this episode. So back from season two, you know and love him. Here's Moto. Say hello to everyone. Hello, everybody. It's Moto, a mock builder and, as said, season two contestant. Yes, this is a this is a such a pleasure to have you, but it's also a pleasure because it's like, you know, uh, oops, all season two contestants. So also back for the podcast, you also know and love him. This is Brian. Say hello to everyone. Hi, everybody. Hi, Michael. It's so great to be back. I'm really excited to break down this episode. This was such a fun one. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and it, you know, just when we think that they can't change up the format, you know, they come up with this challenge. And, you know, so I'm curious, you know, Moto, what was your high level thoughts about the episode? and them taking on such a unique challenge this time around. I'm so glad that I was able to be here for this episode because this has been my particular favorite of the entire season. Um, We've seen in LEGO Masters Australia them do replication challenges, but they're usually mini challenges. And I love the way that the challenge designers incorporated that concept, but then broadened it to that larger... uh, narrative, which we'll get into, um, but also adding extra parameters for a full judged competition. I thought it's, I, I just, this is one of those challenges where, um, you know, I, I, I got a bit of the jelly because I, I kind <laughs> of wish that I had a chance to take this one on. And, and I'm also channeling, uh, uh thinking that one of our, uh, other season two contestants, Michelle Brooks is probably really digging this episode as well. If you if you're familiar. Yes. Yeah. Michelle's like the queen of replicating classic children's toys and many other things, lamps, uh, you know, lots of things out of Lego. So this definitely would have, uh, you know, catered to her strong suits, no doubt. But Brian, you know, what did you think about this challenge and how have you been enjoying the season? Yeah, definitely. So I have really been enjoying this season so far. Uh, I feel like the challenges have been extremely creative outside of the box, doing things that are new to Lego masters across the globe. So that's been really exciting to see. That's been fun to see the different ways that the builders are taking on every challenge. This one I thought was fun because I believe it's pulled from a Lego masters, Australia grand masters challenge that we've seen before kind of on the global stage and it was really one of the standout challenges there and i was so excited to see it come here and be just a standout challenge here as well um and to me i think this type of challenge really speaks to what a lot of lego builders in the community know and love to do which is to look at something have a reference of some kind and replicate it recreate it replication is very popular in the lego community because there's something magical about seeing something that you know and love and recognize in real life and see that turned into this other medium turned into bricks that shouldn't go that way that like they shouldn't look like that it's just it it boggles the mind it it trips (laughs) the eye and it's just such a fun thing to uh use to uh express the bricks in, in a new way so uh, I, I thought it was a really great challenge uh, to kind of get builders into that mindset and kind of get back to some of the roots of what the 
LEGO community does when they're building their mocks, building their own creations. I thought this challenge really lent itself well to that. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. For sure. For sure. Yeah, this was a fun one. And we got, of course, like this funny kickoff. You know, it's a detective style intro with the voiceover, our Net and Co. detective agency. Of course, we see, you know, Will Arnett, you know, and he's voiceover gold. So he says, you know, welcome to the Arnett and Co. detective agency, led, of course, by me, Will, the number one detective in the business. And, you know, it, it was funny seeing like the judges come in and sort of pop the illusion um, to kick off the challenge. But one thing that we have to touch on at the top of this podcast, just because it was also touched on at the top of the episode, was Will also says, unfortunately, due to health reasons, Poppy and Ben are unable to continue in the competition. They will be missed. And, you know, this was, a, you know, this was gut wrenching right off the top because Poppy and Ben were on such an upward trajectory. They were doing so well. And, you know, this is one of those situations where whether it's, you know, in a post pandemic world or whatever it might be, schedules just don't allow for, you know, the breaks, you know, for someone to either find out that they're fine or feel better. And thankfully, we've heard from Ben uh, that Poppy's doing just fine. I mean, I interviewed him in the preseason, so I can verify that as well. And, you know, it's just great to hear that they still took away such positive, you know, feelings about the season. But I mean, you know, Brian, you've been on one of these seasons, like you, you get so close with everyone. I mean, how hard must this have been for the cast, you know, to say goodbye to a friend in this sort of way? It must have been heart-wrenching. You form such close bonds with your fellow contestants when you're on the show. Uh, you're, you're all put into this very extreme circumstance together and you have to face these challenges and you do feel like you're facing them together as a unit. So to have somebody, anytime anybody leaves the show, it's, it's gut-wrenching, but to have somebody leave the show for, for a reason that is health related, something that's not, you know, your typical elimination makes it even harder. So I imagine it was really hard on everybody. And, and likewise, I loved Poppy and Ben as a team. And I thought they were also on such an upward trajectory from the get go. I thought they were showing these like super high level techniques, amazing builds. I was just so excited to see what they were going to do. I had them pegged to, you know, go very far in the competition. So I, I was quite disappointed to to see this, I must say, but I'm really happy to hear that Poppy's doing better and that they have uh, positive takeaways from the experience. But I, I can only imagine how hard it must have been for for them and for the rest of the contestants in the moment. I know, and and to not go out, you know, to your point, like on on a bad build, you know, like like at least you could say, well, we tried our hardest. We you know we weren't the best build this week, and now we go home. You know, there's I'm sure it's going to be tough dealing with the woulda coulda shouldas of, you know, the potential that they had going for them. But Moto, any final thoughts about Poppy and Ben, you know, as we you know move on to the rest of this episode? Well, just one thing, and I'll quote this famous movie line. You can go look it up if you're not familiar with it. But it's, you know, I could have been a contender. I could have been someone. <laughs> and, and it just, it struck me as just the, just the universe is conspiring kind of thing. Like you said, I, I think everything you've covered is is true. And it's just, uh, man, I, I, I really feel for those guys. Yeah. Well, let's hope that they do like a returnee season, whether it's a formal all stars or, or you know, something like that, because I would love to see them get a second chance just to just to sort of like finish this all out the way that we know that they would have. So, um, you know, if, if Poppy and Ben are listening, you know, we're definitely thinking about you and we're so proud of all that you were able to do on this season. So. As we say goodbye, you know, in, in a way that we wouldn't have liked, we move on to the challenge where Will said, this week's challenge is all about figuring out what's real and what's not with a little game called Is It Brick? 
For this challenge, you're gonna ransack my office, leave with an item of your choice, and then replace it with a one-to-one -one replica built entirely out of Lego bricks. And this was, I mean, this is, you know, it, it sounds simple maybe, but it's an incredibly tall order. You know, there's all sorts of crazy objects, big and small. And, you know, interestingly, I really appreciated when they said, um, you know, some of the objects, Jamie said, and some of the objects will be a little bit more challenging to build than others. So we want you to be ambitious with your choices and we will be taking into account whether it's difficult or hard to recreate that out of Lego bricks when we're judging. So I like that they sort of said, like, if you're ambitious, we're going to reward you. And so Moto, like you said, you, you, were, you were wishing you could get your hands on this challenge. You saw Will's, you know, cornucopia of office accessories. Was there something that was jumping out to you? And what do you, what do you, what factors are you weighing when you're thinking about picking an item like these contestants were? Well, yeah. Um, well, I had a little bit of flashback because, you know, uh, you know, I was eliminated for being too ambitious, which <laughs> happens. Right. But but I, I am one of those people that I do have ambition in the challenge. When I looked across the staged area, um, I was really eyeballing a reel to reel uh, tape recorder and player. Yeah, that was kind of in the back. There was also uh, to the right of the record player, there was a this old mechanical tabulator. Um, but I think I think the real the real would have been kind of my jam. I was eyeballing the microscope and I was like, no, that's Moto. You're, you're thinking too ambitious. That, that's <laughs> got too many little, uh, you know, tubes and things that aren't going to translate well. But but those were kind of the objects I was drawn to. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard because you know, to get the fidelity in brick of the tiny minute details that exist on some of these things, the knobs, the little chrome molding, the, you know, all the slits and, and things like that is very hard. And so I have to imagine like part of me was like, I'd be like, oh, that knob. Oh, it's, it's smaller than a one by one round. So I can't pick this one. You know, like I'd be trying to sort of like pair it with parts as I was going, you know, but Brian, what was your thoughts about this challenge? You know, is this you know, is, does this get your creative juices flowing or are you glad you never had to do this one? I, I think it's it's very daunting, but also really exciting. Um, I had the same instinct that, that you did, Michael, of wanting to pair existing parts to the shapes that you saw in the room. Um, but what that takes is knowing all of the parts that the brick pit has available, which is plentiful, <laughs> five million, you know, and just knowing what is going to align with these shapes that you're seeing in the room and what you can pull off in the amount of time. I think selecting your object in this was really a critical part of this challenge in a way that it not it isn't, isn't always in every challenge. So yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that selecting your object was key based on what you knew was available in the brick pit. And for example, with round parts, uh, if you know that the brick pit has a round part that fits this thing exactly, you know, say it's this dial or, you know, what, whatever it may be, then that's perfect. And you can visualize it in your head and go, but you have to realize that on the spot when you're picking the object and Lego doesn't lend itself to a lot of shapes, especially round shapes. So when I was looking at the room, that was something that was in my mind of like, okay, the round shape has to be at the right diameter, you know, to fit, a, you know, what a piece's proportion would be those kind of things is what would be going through my mind. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is that you also might want to not be as ambitious with really organic shapes. For example, I saw that hat that was that they highlighted that was on the hat rack. Like that would be a difficult <laughs> one to try. You know, there were some that were just like, okay, no, you know, definitely not that unless you really want to push yourselves. And, and as we saw, some teams really did push themselves. 
But yes. uh, yeah, I think the more you could immediately translate that object in your mind into Lego bricks, the better of a chance you had in this challenge when it came to selecting your object. Yes. And it's so hard because like, you know, the brick pit, like you said, has 5 million bricks, but not every shape and every color, not every, you know, um, you know, like there's just, there's so many factors and, you know, now we're in episode six, so they probably know the brick pit pretty well, but like, you know, I, I'm glad it was episode six instead of like episode three, even because, you know, like it, it sounds like from what I've heard from being on the show, learning the brick pit is one of the biggest challenges of being on the show. Um, but Moto, what were your thoughts? Well, yeah, I was kind of, I didn't re realize you wanted this level of detail, but you know, when I, when I looked at the objects, there's, it gets a little bit even more, there's a little bit more depth to it. So, you know, uh, you know, looking at the real, the real one, one reason I would go to that is because it's mostly rectangular. There might be slightly beveled uh, uh, components to it, which you can pull off if, 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 if you kind of know the methods, but it's mostly rectangular. It's mostly a box, um, which, which is kind of where I would go. The only thing is the reels, which, which I think could be solved with arches. Also, it's mostly gray and black for the main components that your eye are drawn to. So when we also think about the elements in the brick pit, you have to realize not all colors exist for every element, whereas the white, black, gray tends to be covered pretty extensively. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was thinking about also the positioning in the room where I wanted something kind of more toward the back of the shelf because it meant uh, that if the object, and I'm sure, you know, there were some rules that you had to do all all the sides in the round, but at the same time, it would, if it's mostly forward facing like the television, you have one main surface that you're you're really looking at and you have to nail, whereas you can kind of, if you're around time, you can kind of fudge or, or kind of uh, less high res some of the back parts that were against the wall. And then um, you're talking about like organic surfaces, like a lot of the lamps would have freaked me out, the sculptures, the busts. Um, but even uh, we talk about uh, compound curve surfaces. So uh, like that TV screen just freaked me out because it, <laughs> it's not that you can put a chamfer or a slope, you know, a bevel on all four sides. It's actually more complex because it's a blown CRT compound curve, which is Man, that is supreme, a supremely difficult surface to try to go after. So yeah. That was also some of the things that went through my mind is, is, is the things you mentioned, but also a little bit more of the strategy around, you know, is it bigger than a bread box, but smaller than a, you know, a gigantor thing. Um, but also, also the part selection even gets down to the, to the, to the um, colors that are within that object and whether they're well stocked in multiple shapes that you can pull. Totally. And we even saw like Paul sort of arguing with Nilita saying, oh, this has to be regular gray because there's more options in regular gray. So yeah, mm -hmm. there you go. You could see that. You could see that coming in. Yeah, exactly. So why don't we jump in then? You know, this one, you know, you know, like we said, it kicks off with the choosing and, and people took their time. You know, they wanted to really make sure that they were choosing the right object. And, you know, the most uh, exciting example of this that we saw was, of course, with Nina and Sam and Christopher and Robert. And so we see Christopher and Robert, uh, you know, we hear Christopher say, we have a little trick up our sleeves. That trick is called Operation Get Baited. And, you know, essentially, Robert and Chris know that Nina and Sam are considering the rug, which they should have never been considering to begin with, but they know they're considering it. And basically, you know, Christopher knows that they're contenders. And so he feels like if we can, you know, he says, so we're thinking how we can influence them to pick something that is humanly impossible to finish in 10 hours. And they actually pull it off and they trick them into doing the rug. And it's really interesting because, 
you know, this show is so much about, like we talked about, the relationships and the group dynamic. And this is sort of like the most, let's say, obviously underhanded, you know, kind of move, game move <laughs> that we've seen in the show ever. And listen, like, I love it from a TV moment, but like, Brian, as one of the sweetest boys I know, you know, what did you think about this sort of villainous move from Christopher and Robert? Well, it's hilarious because it is very in character for what <laughs> <laughs> pitching for uh, Christopher's character. I feel like the whole time, you know, so so to speak, you know, everybody, sure. you know, so, some some form of, you know, a, a character, as as they say, you know, and I, I think that it fit his villain persona that that Will has 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 put onto him. And I thought that was um really hilarious to see these uh devious machinations at work, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to uh undercut one of the other teams that they saw as competitors. Um yeah, th- this was a really funny moment. I thought it made for, you know, great TV. It was it was hilarious. Um I also thought it was really funny how uh, Robert was not realizing what was happening, you know, and, and Christopher had to like lean in and he had to tell him <laughs> like, we're tr- I'm trying to bait them, you know, or something yeah, along those yeah. lines, you know, I thought that was really funny. Like in the moment, he's trying to tell him, this is what I'm doing, whispering to him. Uh, so it, it was, it was a funny moment to me. And, um, yeah, it, it worked in their favor. You know, I'm, I'm never sure how much is reality and how much is TV, you sure. know, so to speak. And, in these situations, but there seemed to be some element of, of reality to this. And, and that kind of cracked me up. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it's just so silly, you know, like to then to your point, like see, you know, seeing Nina and Sam sort of realize the trouble they had gotten themselves in, you know, they were mapping it out with the base plates, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, originally it was 99 base plates, then it was 120 base plates. And, you know, Jamie and Robert do versions of this math. You know, Robert figures that it's four studs per second. Jamie later on figures out that it's 156,000 studs, which is about four studs per second. And, you know, Moto, you were in that, um, you know, the make and shake challenge where it's all about bricks per minute. Um, You know, how just how much brick can you throw down at the problem? Like, like, uh, shouldn't alarms have been going off here? Like, I feel like uh, this should have never ended up a problem. Oh, man. You you know, I have never understood why sports fans yell at their television until (laughs) the beginning of this episode. I was yelling at my television for poor Nina and Sam, like, like, yeah, just (laughs) don't. Well, I was so I was yelling kale scale at at TV, like, (laughs) like, so this is a kind of a known thing. If you're really into Lego Masters, we're in Australia. uh, There's a contestant named Kale. He was known for the kale scale. And it was just an outrageously, ridiculously large you cannot physically accomplish this type of build. Um, and, and, and man, that rug just, <laughs> the minute he started lifting it up, I started yelling at the TV. And, and the same with the chair. I, even the chair, just I, when they started rolling the chair up, I was, I was, oh man. Yeah, for, for these really large items. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have, played the bad guy i would have been in the one like going over to him to just be like you you really shouldn't be doing this man you're just gonna yeah you're just gonna have an obvious uh you're gonna it's just it's just not humanly possible and brian's one of the fastest guys i've seen especially in that tower challenge with you and your sister I, i mean you guys just had a blistering pace but even that doesn't compare to this massive area rug well and the nice thing about the the towers is that 
there's no thought that goes into it. You know, you guys were just stacking white brick. You know, you didn't have to think, how do I create an intricate, you know, paisley? I, I don't even know what you call the pattern on a Persian rug. I mean, it was just, it's so much, so much detail and so much size. It's ambitious on two, two frameworks, you know, like, and I think part of it is how, how hard it is to construct with details, how big it is to construct and structural and all those things. There's so many factors that they really, you know, uh, you know, um, Sam eventually says, I start looking at how big it is. And I think we really screwed ourselves. <laughs> and Will was just like, so incensed too. You know, he was like, yeah, they shocked Will Arnett, <laughs> who is not, you know, the most technical expert at things Lego, but even he kind of realized, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> These guys yep. are out of their mind to take a rug. Any yep. rug, yeah. Was Will it nine says, by twelve? It wasn't even a small rug. It's like a pretty big area rug. Yes, nine by twelve. And Will at one point says, "I don't want to hurt their confidence, but at the same time, I think this is really, really stupid." Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I loved. Um, and even later, um, he asked them, "What were you thinking?" Um, you know. And so I think this is one of those things where it was. Uh, like a hilarious bit at, at the start, but then it became a little bit like hard to watch, you know, like, you know, this is a, not going well. And, you know, even Will later confirms they were definitely tricked. Like this was not, <laughs> you know, this wasn't some sort of, uh, you know, like you said, the drama for the show. Um, you know, uh, Sam said, Christopher is a devious mastermind who I think may have baited us into taking this. And then Nina says, maybe he baited us, but we got the golden brick. And so, you know, it was, it was a little sad to see them like realize that thankfully they have a lifeline, but that they were going to have to play it. And even at the end that they weren't going to be able to finish it. But the nice thing was, as Sam describes it, a fleet of angels descended upon them. And we see like uh, Lewis, Emily, Kelly, Melanie, Allison, Paul, and Alita, everyone coming to help them finish their build. And, you know, Brian, you know, this is the, this is the spirit of the show, you know, that we really enjoy, but also it sounds like from, you know, hearing all the stories across the seasons, this is not totally uncommon. You know, like the people help a lot of people finish things or get bricks or other things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you said it perfectly, Michael. It is in the spirit of the show. This was the most beautiful Lego Masters moment that I thought encapsulated the love that the other contestants have for each other and how everybody comes together as a family. Uh, I thought it really spoke to what a collaborative community the show becomes when you're on it. And I think that makes the show unlike anything else that you can see on reality TV, for example. And and so I thought it was a it was a great moment, so perfect for the show. And yeah, it, it has happened in other seasons. I think Moto can probably speak to it even better than me. I know M Moto has in fact been somebody that that's found parts for people and, and given them. So yeah, Moto, I don't know if you want to share that story, but I know it happened all over the place on our season too. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I did assist, uh, you know, in a in a belt. And but what made this one really special for me was in the U.S. It hadn't been seen to this scale. Sure, everybody's very helpful, but due to the clock limitations and the nature of the challenges, there hasn't been this moment where you have three teams who probably thought, you know, our objects are tight and we've got the time. So why not just dive in and help? And, and that's what made it truly special for me. And, you know, I, speaking of illness, I, I believe in Australia, one of the contestants fell ill and, and the poor uh, remaining team member had to build the entire challenge by herself. And all of the other Australian teams were, you know, giving her components and 
elements and pieces to add to our model uh, during their challenge. And this was kind of the U.S. equivalent of it. And it's one of those defining moments where this 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 competition show stands apart from so many others in the way that it reflects the ethos that we all appreciate as Lego builders. Because, I, I mean, you see these things at conventions where if you need assistance, you're going to get it. And people will go out of their way to make sure that if your mock is destroyed, for example, in shipping, you're going to have tons of people coming out of the woodwork to get that thing back together. And I think this is a, a great a great uh, example of that for the general public. Absolutely. And Nina even said, I don't cry a lot, but, you know, I'm just in tears at that point. You know, so it was it was just really an exceptional, like emotional moment coming out of this sort of like, you know, a hilarious start, tragic build, you know, and then to see it sort of end that way was really exciting. But, you know, mm -hmm. going back to Christopher and Robert, you know, they may have baited Nina and Sam, but Robert <laughs> says, I think we may have chosen ourselves into a problem here. You know, you know, aside, he says, aside from Sam and Nina's, ours is the most ambitious in the room. And, you know, later on, we see things really take a turn from them. Robert says, I think the hardest part at this point is just the time management. And, you know, they hadn't yet connected the top part to the base. They're still building this large object. At a certain point, you know, we see sort of the, the pressure build. And, um, you know, Robert says at one point, Sam and Nina's is actually coming together. And Chris like snaps at him and says, yeah, and ours isn't. And we even see Chris whip off that blazer that, that he's known for. I mean, th this competition was clearly getting to them, which felt a little karmic uh, in a funny way. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to say it's a uh, brick karma <laughs> just just kind of land and struck. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But this was a challenging one because they talk about how it was ambitious based on scale, based on detail, and mostly based on you know, this attachment of the heavy, you know, kind of top part of their build to the more delicate base of their build, not to mention the whole thing's on wheels. So there's just so many complications to this one. But, you know, but, you know, Brian, like, you know how the pressure is in this show. And, you know, seeing Chris in that sort of tense moment here in episode six, you know, what did you think about sort of where they were at? Yeah, I know the pressure and I know what it's like to wear a blazer on Lego Masters for every <laughs> single challenge. Uh, so when he ripped that thing off, it was so cathartic for me too. I was like, yes, take it off. Like I had to do that myself in a few challenges as well, where it's just the pressure was was too intense. And, you know, you're like, you get so sweaty in the dumb blazer and you're just like, enough <laughs> of this. So I totally uh, got that moment. It, it is a pressure cooker, especially when you set yourselves up like that with uh, such a high bar to reach of trying to build an entire chair in 10 hours. Um, but I was really impressed at the scale that, that they achieved. And I know what we'll get into it later, but I can only imagine what was going through their heads when they were down to those final minutes, you know, trying yeah. to get that thing done. And I remember seeing, I, I believe it was Christopher just laying on the ground at the end, just yeah. like so defeated, but so triumphant at the same time, just for having gotten it done. <laughs> Um, I, I thought it, it was great to see and that kind of encapsulated what's going on in everybody's head as they're building, but they sure. just had it on full display where you could really see <laughs> the pressure visually, but just any, for any challenge, like that's what's going on in everybody's head all the time anyway. But that was like a, a great way to kind of show it on TV in the plainest way possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we saw that they hadn't tested attaching the two parts of the component, you know, of their components. 
which kind of reminds me of Aubrey and Ryan, you know, where, you know, early in the challenge, we see Jamie and Amy go up to them, talking to them about the screen. And, you know, Amy says, this is a really key part of the build, right? So I think it's best for you that you don't leave the really hard things to the last minute. And, you know, like Moto, you were talking about it. Like there's certain parts of this you have to nail and other parts that if you didn't nail would probably be okay. And so how do you think about the way Aubrey and Ryan approached it, you know, knowing especially that they didn't, you know, follow the judge's instructions, which also brings its own challenges to you as a contestant. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on how they how they fared during this build part of the of the of the competition. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it it was uh yeah, I was taking notes as I watched and this one was it was um this is one of those challenges where the smallest decisions have accumulating damage or yeah. success. And and th- also because they're so far in the season, you're fairly exhausted to where you're not going to catch those subtle it's almost like you're triggering an avalanche you know this cascading reaction that's going to cause you to get really tripped up later on just against the clock um and and the focus on going after the frame and the box and and, and really uh nailing the back side of it because when the camera was focused on the back of that television set it was really well done highly yeah. precise uh done in but but like i said when when they first picked that television i saw that curved screen you know my expectation was that was going to be kind of one person's entire life was going to get sucked into that compound element <laughs> and, and and nailing that whereas the rest of the box was probably going to be the other team members uh you know bailiwick to, to put together um so i could kind of i could kind of see it coming and in this episode in particular all of the comments from the brick masters were almost like prophetic jedi statements they all kind of came <laughs> true in the end and maybe that's the clever use of editing where they have the the benefit of hindsight uh but it almost seemed like that was a critical piece of advice and, and kind of getting that like they said that tunnel vision where you're so drawn into your to your task at hand that that you're missing kind of that bigger strategic picture i think uh we'll we'll see play out when we talk more about the specific build absolutely you know, it makes me feel like a lot of builders may have benefited from a technique that we saw Emily and Kelly use. Um, you know, Emily or Kelly got every a sample of every single gray piece in the brick pit to help replicate all of the different you know valves and keys on the clarinet that they had to recreate. And she talks about how she's she says, I'm actually trying to model it with the shape of each key so that it looks like a clarinet. And that's not easy. And, you know, she really is taking it like step by step, sort of like not adding another section until the first section is right. And it's interesting because for a clarinet where the scale in terms of like the large size of it is a less of an issue, maybe that is something you can do. But with ev- with not every build, is that even possible? You know, so, you know, Brian, you know, what, what are your thoughts sort of about that as an approach about sort of like kind of iterating the build, you know, because I feel like you could get, if you get too obsessive, that could also eat up those 10 hours quickly. But also thankfully, you have 10 hours to only work on one moderately sized object so maybe you really had enough time if you took your time that's true yeah and that's where uh in emily and kelly's case in particular picking a a smaller sized object really helped them um because they were able to go through this full catalog of available parts and i thought that was a really smart approach for their specific object for what they had to work with that was brilliant because they were small enough that those kind of rounded shapes as i was talking about before can actually be achieved in Lego bricks. Like when you just look at the 
the central part of the clarinet, you use a four by four rounded plate and it's going to be the same size. It's perfect. And so that's what goes into that decision making at the very yeah. beginning. If you can recognize that early on and see this kind of one to one in a shape you know exists in Lego brick form, uh, you're going to be really well suited for this challenge. I thought they picked a very smart object and they executed it with the right bricks. Another example of that is all of the little keys. Sorry, I don't play clarinet, so I don't know what it, what everything <laughs> is called. But those little rounded um, keys were were also perfect for a two by two rounded piece. They were the same size. So another example of where their object fit really well into what Lego already has available in shapes that they don't have in larger sizes necessarily. So I thought they they took exactly the right approach for their object. But if I were doing a different object, like for example, the chair, the TV, even that approach isn't really going to work, you know, like it, it's, it's particular to what you choose. And that's what made this challenge so fun to watch is that you got to see different styles of execution based on the different objects. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, like seeing how the builders made this choice was sort of like the most interesting part, because I feel like you really want to find that Goldilocks scenario where having 10 hours is actually like a, an ample amount of time to go as in depth, to get as nerdy with it as you want. But it's not too much time that they're like, well, you clearly picked too, too small of an object and it wasn't ambitious enough. And so I think that, you know, I, especially when you're in the split second decision moment, I don't even know how you do that calculus, but it was interesting to see how everyone approached it. And, you know, one, you know, team I really liked this episode and I loved their spirit was Paul and Nalita. And at one point, you know, they're getting a little stressed and Nalita says, you got to take can't out of your vocabulary, take out the T and the apostrophe, she says. And I, and I just, I love that. We don't see enough of them. Nalita especially, it just has such like an infectious fun energy that I, I, I want to, hopefully after this episode, we'll see more of. But, you know, one of the interesting things that they really liked was that Paul was trying to not leave any studs exposed. And certainly, in this type of challenge, that is a factor that could come into play. You know, we think about that screen, you know, the best way to do a compound curve for the TV may have been studs out and using, you know, like kind of the, the normal like Lowell sphere type shaping, but that would have created so many like, you know, bits and studs and all that sort of stuff. And so I really liked how that they were doing it. But, you know, one interesting thing though, that Amy said was that she loved that they were talking about detail, because I think that's also something we haven't fully seen from you yet getting a fully finished build and all those details. And so Moto, like, talk to me about your thoughts on this, because I feel like the judges are being, or maybe it's just that we're seeing it more this season, but they're really sort of painting the picture of what it looks like for a contestant in episode six. You know, I mean, at the top of the challenge, they're saying be ambitious. In moments like this, they're, they're, they're really spelling it out. This is what it takes to be a, a, a successful builder here in episode six. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts as someone who received the judges' feedback. I feel like we're getting a lot more of that this season that says this is what it takes to win. And it's spelled out very clearly. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, because I think when I've been on this podcast before in former seasons, I always talk about how you have to kind of have a universal translation device for Brickmaster talk <laughs> where they insinuate. Um, you know, usually alarm bells should go off when you hear ambitious. In this case, it was it was put up front and, and the ambitious part was clearly explained what that meant and, and and that it was part of your decision making up front. Um I I 
I like that direct and blunt sort of feedback from the Brickmasters. I, I think that um, the natural state of most people in conversation, especially if you're giving feedback uh, as they are, their superiors right to Lego set designers, is to be very polite and considerate. But in this type of situation where you're you're not well rested and you're, you're fuzzy, <laughs> I, I would rather have them be direct and blunt and precise in their guidance. Now, if you don't take that guidance, then I think it's even kind of a, a more of an onus on you if you're going to disregard <laughs> it. But for the telescope, for this example, and I, I want to, I'll probably talk more about the clarinet when we get to it. Um, you know, I really loved that they were looking at the overall shape of the telescope. I think they recognized that someone, they, they had solved kind of the tube problem, which is basically the Apollo rocket. How, yeah. how do you take... How do you take the bows, aka curved slopes, and do snot work to really surround it into into the correct the diameter for the different segments, and kind of extend it into, uh, yeah, getting them to focus on those details and, and reiterating that they're kind of on the right track, um, which is great because I, I think um, that type of of feedback for the time of the review uh, was, it's just great. And hopefully every team kind of got that. But yeah, if that's the example that was set for this challenge, um, I'm all for that. I just, I, you know, not that they're listening to this, but if they are, please keep <laughs> on doing that. You know, blunt and direct is really great when someone's exhausted. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and the hard part is like, you know, a lot of times you may not even learn the lesson that they're giving you this episode, but you're going to apply it next episode. And so if you could mm -hmm. like at least take yeah. the right lesson away from this feedback and, and to your point, it's not a riddle. It's not something to decipher. I think that only helps everyone as they move th forward into the competition. But why don't we move forward into the judging sure. and let's get into our own game of is it brick and try to figure out, you know, how well these teams did at the task at hand, which was to replicate a one to one object and to capture all those details. So. You know, first off, though, before we get into the judging, was it was talked about the golden brick. You know, Nina and Sam, are you going to use it? And of course, with everything we talked about earlier, Sam was not disillusioned. He said, you know, we did not build a one-to-one -one scale model, and so they're going to use the golden brick. And, you know, we hear, of course, a, a quote from our favorite villain this season, Chris, where he says, our objective is complete. We've done everyone else a favor by having that golden brick be spent and for everybody to be on an even playing field. And... You know, like I said, we just haven't seen this sort of game move. Like I'm very used to, uh, like in Survivor, there's the hidden immunity idol. And sometimes you want to trick someone to play it, even though they're not going home. And then that just takes it out of the equation. Like that's a really common move to, to either attempt or account for in those games. But in this game, you aren't really doing that. But it was interesting to see that like this villainous plan was fully carried out here um, as Will takes it back. Um, so we'll have to see, you know, they brought it back very quickly. So we'll have to see if it comes back again. I want to also mention the phrasing. We did everybody else a favor by doing this devious plan. Let's, <laughs> let's be upfront that <laughs> it probably wasn't for everybody else's benefit, but it did work out and it worked yeah, out well. I know. I mean, I think the other interesting thing is, you know, they won, you know, three out of the first four challenges, um, yep. you know, like, you know, sort of like taking away an advantage from a team that's already doing amazing is, does even the playing field, you know, whether, we like to sort of admit it or not. So I guess, uh, quote unquote, good on you. Good, good on you. Um, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm always team TV, so it makes good TV. And so it was a lot of fun. But why don't we go in the same order that the show did? So we'll start off with Emily and Kelly. 
And this build, of course, like we talked about, was the clarinet. And, um, you know, they really are like looking to get out of the middle of the pack, they said, and challenge themselves. And so, you know, Brian, why don't we start with you? You know, how well do you think that they were able to capture the clarinet design and what stood out to you seeing the final build side by side with the real thing? Yeah, uh, I thought they captured it really, really well. It was very clean, uh, very few if any studs were showing, which is another thing we haven't mentioned yet, but is really critical when you're doing these one-to-one replicas. Removing Lego studs is the best decision because that helps you create some semblance of reality because the studs scream, this is Lego. So if you're able to get rid of the studs in in this type of build, uh, that is only going to help you. They did that flawlessly here. Um, And as they they discussed, there was tons of NPU in this build, and I thought that really made it stand out. We saw fish, we saw wings, we saw frying pans, (laughs) we even saw a little rat that was in there, which was really fun for me to see. I love those rat pieces, and they were all meant to mimic the very complicated shapes that are on the clarinet. Um, So I I thought this was a really great, well-executed build. Um, and the judges did point it out, which I, you know, I was kind of glad they did. This was a smaller build. So if you are going to pick a smaller uh, object, make sure you do it really well. So I thought this was a really great example of not being super ambitious. They, they didn't do anything crazy, but they made sure that what they did was really well executed. So I thought this build fit that mold of how you could approach the challenge really, really well. Totally well said. Yeah. I mean, Amy goes on to say, you know, it's one of the smaller bills, but it doesn't mean it was easy. And I think that that's the right mix. You know, you want to find something, like I said, you know, 10 hours to pour into that, you know, to all those different keys and and get and get the time to to actually experiment with the parts. Because, you know, one thing they don't tell you is that you can't like sort of build in the brick pit. You have to take the parts back to your table. <laughs> and so, you know, if you don't do what Kelly did, which is just get everything and then have fun playing with it at the table you're going to be running back and running back or staying with parts that don't work. So, you know, this was a risk that was really well calculated. But Moto, you know, what was your takeaway from this build? Yeah, this one, this one impressed me. Uh, So Brian listed out uh, frying pan, the rat, the wing, uh, sorry, fig scale wing and the fish. I also noticed this is blowing my mind. So I don't know how she found these elements in the brick pit because I didn't even realize they existed. There was a technic piston slash cam arm in there, um, a bar element with the toe ball joint and gray battle droid, Star Wars battle droid arms, (laughs) space robot arms, the bionicle universal ball uh, component dishes two by twos the long bar element used as uh, lighting poles on street poles uh the umbrella six by bar element um and um numerous other things which i won't list but just going through that quick list there was the kitchen sink i mean of of greeble components were used in just the most creative and amazing ways. And this was one of those builds. And we haven't talked about the twist because this was a great setup for the twist. Because if you put that clarinet on a shelf at a distance, I don't think anyone was going to be able to figure out that it was a Lego build versus a real clarinet. Because all of those, it's almost like impressionistic painting. When all those little blobs of paint, those little greebles are put at a distance, it, it is a faithful reproduction. Now, the only thing I noticed that was a little off on it was on the front of the clarinet, the bell didn't have that sort of uh, um, uh, subtle 
a, a small to large shape. It kind of went as a tube and then it went wide. And, and something like, um, you know, uh, uh, a castle topper or a rocket cone type thing would have worked, but I don't believe those are stocked in the brick pit. So I can't really fault them for not swapping that out. The more elegant way would have been to step it down with a lot of snot math and, and, and curved slopes. But that was probably beyond the time limit. So you know, I understood why I was there. But you know, playing playing the 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 brickmaster role, I, I would have just seen the bell as kind of being the only off comp complement. But everything else, the read was just nailed in there and, and perfect. And it was perfect for the twist because I don't think anybody would have picked that out. Yes, yes. Well, and and like you said, the twist was you know a special guest was coming and they were going to play the game live and be able to pick people out and that would either help you or hurt you. As, as far as the judging was concerned. But yeah, I think to, to your point, Moto, like the way that they were able to position everything and to get everything exactly where you want it with all sorts of clips and, you know, and snot connectors and other things like that, that's so hard to do. And they really nailed it. The bell was like a nice approximation to your point. You know, there's some really unique techniques to get it to be round like that. And then the only other interesting thing was they have a, a, like a flat piece at the bottom to create that black, you know, sort of negative mm -hmm. space. And you know, it's it really would have been hollow. It would have gone in. And obviously it, it was probably hard to accomplish both creating the curve shape and making it hollow at the same time, just because that's hard. That's a hard, uh, you know, uh, order to fulfill. But they really just this one blew me away. It was so exceptional and and great to see. And one aspect that I can't comment on the other teams on, but I can for this one, because I do know Kelly is a builder and I do know Emily is a builder, um, is they divided, I believe, the the test between them beautifully because Kelly, it, you know, I know her work as being um, just incredible NPU detail at incredibly small scale. So that her task and what she was doing uh, fit her building style to a T. And when you're a team and you need to, you know, divide the labor, um, you know, I, I think it was done very well where Emily does some, some very great uh, sculpting work, but Kelly coming in with all the small components, I think was a great way to, for that team to approach their build as well, because that is a, that is something that comes in the mix when we're when we're dealing with these challenges. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah. why don't we move on to team number two? This was Allison and Melanie, and theirs was the vintage camera. And they didn't get a ton of airtime this episode, but one thing Will said about their build during the build phase was, if you're going to build something that small, it had better be accurate. So like the judges were already sort of uh, ready to scrutinize this one. Um, but Moda, why don't you kick us off on the vintage camera? What did you think of this build? Oh uh, yeah, uh, well done overall. But uh, I think I think it was Allison and her quote uh, just directly from the team itself was, a lot of details we have to get perfect. Yeah. So that is the risk when you have a small item or something where you have 10 hours to focus on um, something where you're not worried about just laying brick for volume, but getting every detail precise. Uh, it's the precision that's going to matter. It's going to get down to like literally half studs, offsets. Um, the, you know, using cheese sauce for the bellows, that was, that was, I think, uh, the right way to go. And the front of the camera, uh, which soared by really quick, but I managed to get a screen cap. Um, whoever did the front of that camera work, there was a million snot elements turning those bricks sideways and upside down, all different directions and brackets for for a um, you know a half plate offset in there. Brilliantly done. Um, then then kind of you know some of the other notes, uh, kind of with the critical eye was um, there's an arm uh, that connects the bellows to the to the body, 
it wasn't connected on the top. It wasn't attached. Um, you know, they used a tire for the lens, which is a good approximation. But, uh, you know, I was thinking something like a, a, a six, a, a dish that was six inverted probably would have given a more Lindsay reflective of kind of component to it. Um, uh, you know, the button on top. Uh, sorry, um, I actually own one of these cameras, by the way, uh, <laughs> which is why I'm able to comment on this sucker. Um, but when they looked at the range finders on the top, I noticed that one of them was four studs wide and the other was two studs wide. Um, but if you look at the, the the range finder on this type of camera body, it would have been an even three and three. And it would have looked a little odd by stacking clear bricks uh, on top of a, a, a truly translucent panel. But from a distance, once again, it would have registered more in line with the footprint or of the, of the object, you know, the visual object. Um, so really good work, great effort. It's just um, when you pick something like this, it, it gets down to those, you know, those atomic little greebles in position, which are so hard to dial in. Yeah. Um, so so great effort. Uh, just, you know, little ticks here and there for some stuff that I saw was a little disconnected and, and a little out of place. Absolutely. And I think it's hard just because there's also only so small Lego can get. And that's sort of what stood out to me for this one, which was... You can't go smaller than a stud. That's the difficulty here, right? And, yeah. And you really are trying to replicate something that gets really tough, really tough. A absolutely. And, and like you mentioned, like the support arms uh, that sort of like hold things that are on the top, you know, they made them like two plates thick because that's how they needed to do it to get the length and strength that they needed. But that is way thicker than it looks in the real one because the real one's made out of metal. And, you know, so so getting all the lines as thin as they needed to be was sort of what stood out to me. And, you know, Amy mentions that um, that sort of tubing that they have on the side where in the regular model, it was, you know, sort of small enough to be insignificant, you know, where they picked that sort of very cool gray, you know, kind of bending piece which was like a fun NPU, but also made it stand out more just because it was thicker. You know, it was just, it became more prominent. Michael, there's flex tube in the in the brick pit. Yeah. And they used flex tube on one side and then that one element, they didn't use a flex tube and it just stood out. So exactly. like I said, it's, it's, it's these really fine nuanced choices of the elements that you're using. Just, they get you. And it's so hard when you're in the moment right? To see that stuff. It's that tunnel vision that gets you. Absolutely. So, Brian, what yeah. stood out to you? Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add. I thought Moto summed it up uh, brilliantly. Um, I, I likewise thought that the, the bellows was really well executed with those cheese slopes. That was the first thing that caught my eye. I thought the lines were really clean and they showed it at kind of a three-quarter angle where you could see the real camera behind the Lego one. And to me, proportionally, they looked almost exact. I was so impressed at how they achieved the proportions um, just in terms of the camera body itself. Um, likewise, uh, along with Moto, I, I thought that uh, a dish might have been the, the right move for the, the camera lens instead of a tire, uh, just because it gives you that perfect round shape rather than the little um, bevels, you know, an area sticking out that you have in a tire. Um, and, and I guess the the only other thing I want to add, and you know, this is getting into really small nitpicky stuff, and it might have just been what happened on the day, but when they did that fade, uh, you know, where you go from the, the Lego object to the real life object, I couldn't help but notice that the front section of the camera was a little bit askew. And that might have been just what happened when they put it on the table. It might have been, you know, who knows what. But it's those kind of things when you are looking at these one-to-one -one replicas that you want to see everything just be straight lines, perfect. So when you do that fade and then one little part is tilted, 
it just catches your eye. So that, that was my, my only other thing. But I really did think this is a well-executed build, very clean and also very difficult to pull off given its size. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, why don't we move on to number three? This was Lewis and Alex with their record player. And you know this one was definitely interesting because it was also the only one that used movement. So Brian, why don't you kick off this one? What did you think of the record player? Yeah, absolutely. So I thought that the color was great. The way that they were able yeah. to capture the same color as a record player, which I believe they use medium azure, which is a surprisingly plentiful color in the brick pit uh, that they had <laughs> a lot of options to work from. Uh, I know because Lauren and I used it all the time. We love that color. <laughs> um, so that was great to see. They tiled everything off really nicely. They got all of the the kind of mechanisms inside the record player really well approximated. And I also love the needle coming out. They used a really nice wedge piece at the end that I thought was really brilliantly done. Um, and then like Jamie, I also struggled with the record itself um, because it, it clearly did not have a round shape that you would have hoped to see. Um, but also that being said, it's a very difficult size to achieve a round shape. They, they did it one of the only ways that you really can, which is to do you know studs up and then to just stagger it. But some of that staggering, for me, the part that really stood out was the yellow in the middle. Um, they yep. could have staggered the, the bricks. You, you could have offset the ones at the end more so it looks less like a diamond and more like a circle. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, it's, it's very hard to do. Lauren and I tried to do it in our Rapunzel build for the, the top of our Rapunzel tower. And that was one of the hardest things I remember building the whole time <laughs> on the show is a massive round circle studs up. Um, you could uh, try to achieve it with wedges, but then you're going to have sharp corners. Um, you could try to achieve it with curved slopes, but then it's going to be too small. It's just a really hard size to create a believable circle. Um, so I think in, in that regard, they did the best they could, but the object was working against them there. And I thought, um, yeah, like, like Jamie, it did, it, it did take me out uh, of this build, but I did love the, the record player that was all around it. I thought it was all like so well executed. So yeah, it was kind of a, it, it was kind of both sides for me. It was like one part really well executed, one part that brought me out of the illusion. Yes. Well said. You know, I almost felt like the record spinning sort of made the black part of the record look more round because as it sort of spun around, you you just didn't pay attention to the edges as, as much. But to your point, it made that yellow label stand out for not being round a lot. Um, but it was, you know, like you said, the case was just gorgeous. I mean, they really did an excellent job. But Moto, what stood out to you here? Uh, Brian covered everything. I just had two minor notes. One was, um, you, know, you talked about teams helping other teams. You know, if I was running by their table, I, I probably would have, the stylus for me was was a, a compound, uh, non-curved wedge piece. Um, I just would have said, hey guys, uh, go grab a unicorn horn, invert it, stick into an Apollo stud, and jam it underneath so you have a true stylus on the record. Um, that little you know, it was that little type of detailing, I think. Uh, but overall, yeah, amazing job. The way to solve the record itself, uh, it would have been a little thicker, but if you sunk it in the table, it might have worked. There, There is a technique called the Lego Magic Circle, and it it is the perfect way to work out Lego math and get uh, almost infinite diameter circles. So I'll, I'll let the I'll let people pause the podcast and maybe go Google that because it's we don't have enough time to get into it. But the Lego Magic Circle is one of these things that um, I think anybody listening who wants to be a future contestant or just a good mock builder should go out and research because it does give you 
uh, fantastic circular shapes as well, not just for records, but like for clock faces or anything that's a large scale circular pattern that you need to build. And um, yeah, yeah, the math just works out beautifully. But you know, other than that, uh, pretty much Brian Brian had dialed in, but those were my two my two uh, <laughs> notes on the side that had nothing to do with the team in the moment. I, I'd love to just I'd love to just throw in that that math for building those large circles is is key. I would echo that for Moto, especially as you can extrapolate into building spheres and other shapes that are that are studs up. I just think that's an invaluable thing to to look into you know it's 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 really fun to see the ways that you can make these square shapes uh, echo around pattern um and i i also want to throw in one thing mona reminded me that i forgot speaking of apollo studs as i saw i think on the back of the record player they had like little plugins using the back of apollo studs i saw this during the build phase and i love that because it reminded me of the uh the nes set that um has those on the back of the tv and like it's those little details like that that are just brilliant and um, i love to see in these kind of builds so so well done for for those little details yeah those analog ports they had it they had that right they literally had it jacked in it was perfect yeah absolutely and one other little detail i loved was sort of like the metal corners uh the hardware corners on the bottom of the case mm-hmm. you know it's like one of those things that i feel like probably would have been a little bit of a challenge but they just you know super nailed. Um, but I mean, listen, Lewis and Alex are definitely one of those teams on an upward trajectory doing really well. And I don't think this one disappointed at all. So why don't we move on to Christopher and Robert? There was so much anticipation for this one. You know, the, there's, of course, was the office chair and, you know, Moto, you know, this was obviously one of the most ambitious ones. What was your takeaway from this build? Oh, man, you know, uh, I, I... A few challenges come to mind where where Paris and I were kind of like the the kings of the last minute submission of the build getting done, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Chris and Robert, my spirit animal for that last minute <laughs> sort of thing. But but the the one thing I mean, the chair overall has a lot of compound curves and is very large. So so like I said, I was I was shouting at the television when they rolled that thing out. I was I was. <laughs> I was really concerned, uh, and I'm glad that they finished it, just the act of finishing it, because if you had not finished the object, even though I could, you know, talk about how it was was rough, it was, you know, it it was bricky sculptural, not not smooth, like a lot of the other submissions, but just having an incomplete build or a failure to connect the top to the bottom would have been the elimination, just the screen, like, like the hat thing that happened to us, just... If the model blows apart and there's nothing to display, you're you're pretty much going home because everybody else had had their stuff complete or had the golden brick. Now, the one thing that I think saved them that I don't know whose idea it was, but the use of the large red panels that are normally used for like cargo containers saved their booty for that chair (laughs) back. So I don't know who came up with that, uh, but they deserve a pat on the back because that sucker fills in a lot of space very quickly with almost no weight, which is exactly what they needed on that section of the chair that wasn't complete and left kind of toward the end. So uh, yeah, guys, uh, red panels uh, saved your booty and thank God it did because you're still in the contest. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this was just such a massive undertaking and it was easy to see that it was made out of Lego. You know, I think like that's the, that's the challenge, you know, itself. And so this one was very easy. And a lot of it, to your point, came down to those complex curves of the cushioning, you know, that was that stretched leather that would have been on the chair. 
And also the fact that it was at like a very firm 90 degrees, you know, the chair, which, you know, doesn't oh, yeah. seem very ergonomic. You know, it doesn't it didn't look comfy, you know, to sit in. Um, but Brian, what was your thoughts here? Yeah. So I thought just the sheer ambition of this build uh, was <laughs> impressive in its own right. The fact that they finished it, as you mentioned, I came together. I love that they had wheels on the bottom. What a great touch that actually could function and wheel over. How cool is that? I thought uh, the base of the chair was really well executed. It was very smooth lines there. Um, and yeah, I was just so impressed that they they pulled it together and did it. Uh, what One thing that immediately jumped out to me, um, which I know is probably a limitation of the brick pit, is just that the color of the original chair to me read as a dark red. And yeah. that is definitely a color you don't have that many bricks in probably in the brick pit. I don't recall there being that many dark red. Yeah, there might not be much, but um, yeah. So I, I think that was a struggle from get-go that um, again, when you're picking out those objects, if you see one that doesn't have a color that you can immediately know has a ton of options in the brick pit, I maybe wouldn't choose that. So I, I struggled just with the bright red of the chair and also um, the, the top section, which you know is going to be the section that's most visible behind the desk, um, was a little bit blocky and staggered uh, compared to some of the other smooth lines we saw in some of the builds. Um, and that's just, I think, a time thing when, you know, you run out of time, maybe yeah. you can't put on those finishing touches when you have a build that's that huge. But props to them for, for getting this thing done. And it made for such an entertaining watch. I'm sure it was so stressful for them. But as the <laughs> viewer, like just to, to see that thing come together, uh, what was really impressive, uh, the last little detail that I'll add uh, that I really liked were the little um, knobs that were around the armrest. Yeah. Um, I thought those were really nicely done. I did notice that the real chair had them going all the way down the armrest, or else they just had them at the front. Um, but I thought the ones that they did put there, that they used the perfect piece, and it just really created that sense of reality to those armrests. So uh, yeah, this was this build was crazy. You know, there's just <laughs> a, a lot to say, say about it. It was kind of nuts, but... That's uh, the thing we want to see on Lego Masters. So so props to them for taking this on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think to, to go for such a big object, you're going to sacrifice some of the detail. Like you just, it's going to have to happen. But they had a surprising amount of detail. Like this, they had sort of a, a, a build to sort of replicate like the tubing around the cushion of the chair and like some of those other details that I'm surprised they were even able to accomplish, frankly. You know, like I think you know, the fact that they got it done, the fact that it connected, the fact that it worked and there was a handful of details, you know, I, I think the ambition points probably pushed them over the edge. Um, but this was, I mean, congrats to this team. Um, I, I wasn't sure I saw this one coming together. <laughs> I, I also just wanted to compliment them on something that was not related to the build, if you would mind. Go for it. Which is when they got in front of the judges and, you know, they're asked a direct question, you know, is is someone going to pick this out of the lineup? They absolutely directly said, absolutely, yes. There was yeah. none of this because, you, you, you know, and I'm partly to blame for this, where you have teams and you're you're trying to sell your story or your build in the best possible light to the to the judges, to the brickmasters. Whereas just the straight up admission was, you know, the direct admission was the best way to go. I thought that was very upfront with, uh, for them to do. Um, and, 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 you know, it took some guts, right, to just plainly say, yeah, yeah, we know that this is rough and, and we understand what we did and, and they're totally owning it. And I, I thought that was um, just a fantastic demonstration of their character. Yeah. And like, I think when you have judges, you know, 
listen, sometimes I think your enthusiasm can get them excited, but nobody wants to like have their intelligence insulted, you know, like, so like, you know, I think like, <laughs> yeah, it was a smart yeah. move, I think, you know, to sort of have that humility because I think like, I mean, who knows, we, you know, we imagine that the judges are perfectly subject, you know, objective and they just pick, you know, the best build, you know, each time. But I think, you know, uh, you know, I guess if they were going to have to decide between one and two and, and that would have either angered them or annoyed them or whatever enough to make it them, I'm glad that they at least had the humility to not do that. So, um, strong showing from Christopher and Robert, I know what they're capable of. And this was, you know, somewhere in the middle in terms of the replication, but it was very high in terms of the ambition. Well, why don't mm -hmm. we move on to Paul and Nalita? This is bill number five, the telescope. And this one, you know, we like, you know, we knew there was a lot of expectation on this team to get the details right. And I was very excited with this final build. But Brian, what did you think about it? Yeah, I thought this was really well executed. And again, like the clarinet, lent itself really well to existing rounded shapes that are in the Lego inventory. Uh, when I saw that they were approaching it with those curved slopes, when you, you know, use snot and you can put them at a right angle like that, you can achieve exactly the size of a telescope in terms of a rounded shape. Uh, you know, and that's differentiating it from like a, a spinning record, which is too big. The telescope <laughs> is like the perfect rounded size that you can actually do with curved Lego elements. Very smart choice of object. And I thought they used just the right technique to execute it. Uh, something that really stood out to me technique wise that I thought was brilliant was a uh, in the center of the tripod, um, the, the, the section that tilts, um, they had two arches that were flipped uh, uh, upside down. One was upside down, one was right side up, and in the middle, there was a dish. And the end result of that, the effect was just perfect. It looked exactly like the real tripod. I was so impressed by that technique. Uh, that, to me, was just like a huge, huge check mark. Go them. That was awesome. Um, there are also no studs visible, which, as I mentioned before, hugely helps in, in this challenge. Um, and I thought that the, the tires, those little thin tires on the top, I don't know my telescope terminology. I don't know what they were trying to recreate, <laughs> but those, those thin tire rounded shapes that they had jutting out of the top uh, with the clips attached to them were uh, perfect. That was just the perfect shape to use. Great night. NPU. It's about to say great, nice parts usage, but that sounded redundant. <laughs> but I thought, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really well done. And you know, my only tiny nitpicky thing on this one again, it was during that fade. You know, when I was looking at how close of a one to one are are we here, uh, there was just that that bottom section seemed like it was weighed down a little bit and was tilted at an angle. And my eye caught that it, it just wasn't quite aligned with the real thing. Maybe it was weight related. Maybe it was, again, putting it down on the table. I don't know. But my eye was just like so attuned to, you know, seeing if it was really a true one-to-one. -one. And that was the only tiny thing. But everything else, they just knocked it out of the park. Uh, used the right colors, the right shapes. Uh, I, I thought this was a really, really solidly executed build. Absolutely. And, you know, I think like one of the other parts of the ambition for me is is that angle that you were saying, you know, to get the build to sit at an at a not 90 degree angle and have a tripod base, you know, which again is like a three and not a two or a four or like an even number that works well in Lego. And the fact that they were able to solve all those challenges and make it look clean and almost make it look easy. Wow. I mean, that's that's one of the real standouts here. But Moto, what stood out to you? Yeah, everything Brian mentioned. Uh, 
what was really cool, Brian, is the the arch inversion, I believe, was accomplished by using a half Technic pin and shoving the half Technic pin part into the negative space of the arch below um, because there was a little gap, a little lip. That's something I've done before. And and that was just I was like, oh, man, they did the Technic pin inversion. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, the uh, so there's a couple of components on there. Yeah, the eyepiece was dangling at an odd angle. But if they tried to press it in any harder, I think because it's hollow, they might have caved it in. So as long as it was attached, I was I, I was like, thank God it's on there. <laughs> what struck me is this build requires a very good understanding of weight balance. Okay, so one of the tricks going on with which I thought was brilliant is any tripod that vertical arm that can be ratcheted up and down is off the floor. But what they did is they put it against the very bottom of the table and then built the three legs around it so that the weight was was going through that central core pillar and then the legs were just there to ensure that it wouldn't tip over. So so that's one of those beautiful little physical cheats that even though it wasn't accurate, it was necessary for the physical way that this thing was going to stand up. Um, and then the weight balance of the telescope against the tripod, I think would have been fairly tricky to work out so that it wouldn't have just fallen off the tripod base they, they had it attached to because it is set at an angle and it didn't look like there was like a lot of clutch power to hold it on there. It was enough clutch to where it had that beautiful illusion. But for some reason, you know, the band going around didn't look like it was structural enough to where I think they were solving the weight balance problem to get it to sit on there, which is a very tricky proposition, uh, you know, could have been could have gone poorly for them but wound up working incredibly well. Um, and the last silly thing, because you guys, you know, are obviously here for this investigative journalism, the lens hood up front uh, had a dent in it. It was caved in a little bit on the side. And from going through and freeze framing the episode, it was pre-dented when they got it. They did not drop it at any point and dent the object. It was it was pre-dented when they got it. Um <laughs> So, so they did not damage any of the equipment that was given to them. It was already damaged when they got it, and and so um, don't don't hate on them because if you're really into telescopes, that the telescope uh, hood was messed up. That was that was obviously there when it was in place. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just uh, lovely use all together, just beautiful. And this is another one of those where one um, of those D and D things, the mimics, where they become something else. Yeah, you can't tell the difference, and you get sucked. Yeah. This is one of those where, yeah, put it put it more than a couple feet away and it's going to be, you're not going to be able to pick it out from the lineup. It's just going to hide right in, you know, it's going to recess right into all the other stuff that's in that office. And so, um, you know, with the twist and having someone, are you getting dinged for, for your stuff getting picked out from the lineup? Absolutely a perfect job. It's just going to disappear in the background and not get, and not get caught and called out. Yeah. Well, and also like we talked about, like with the clarinet, the you know the the bottom the the part that should have been open was capped and this one the part that was open was open and I feel like that really helped sell it for me too with that hood that you were talking about oh I'm sorry I just had one other thing this is kind of the the dingy uh, the negative aspect or uh, sorry criticism not negative because because this is beautiful um, but the uh, the eyepiece which is the back part of the of the uh, telescope 
um, they kind of, I think they put the, the ha like half of the eyepiece is almost on backwards because it should go from the thickest part with these like metallic plate looking things around the outside is closest to the back of the telescope. And then it gets progressively thinner, whereas theirs kind of starts up medium, then goes thick and then thins down again. Um, so that was the only goof if I was doing the, you know, stare and compare that, that was off. But but obviously it was not, it's not a large glaring error by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. And I think as far as like the, which object should you pick of it all? I think this is one of those objects that it has rounded pieces. The whole thing sits at an angle. And so I think if, you know, if someone's playing the game, they're probably like, nobody would have picked that. That would be hard to make. And so I think that that sort of like instantly rules it out in terms of like, as you scan the room as could it be Lego or not? Because you're like, ah, eh, that would be too hard. Next, you know? And I think that that's what was so fun about this choice from an ambition standpoint. But great job to Paul and Nilita. And then we move on to Aubrey and Ryan. You know, we've been waiting to sort of see how this vintage TV turned out. And, um, you know, certainly the judges had some things to say about it. But Moda, why don't we start with what you have to say about it? Uh, boy, I, you know, I've, I've talked so much about it on the and kind of the setup and the way things, the, the kind of the sequence of events through the episode. Um, but but uh, I love the controls. Again, we talked talk about the back of the television. Looked fantastic side by side when they were building it. Uh, they did a shot where they had the TV, I think, just to the side. Or their build was, you could see the back side of it as they're working on it. And you could see the TV next to it. Um, they had all the heat vents in there. They had the output ports. All the stuff was there modeled very well. Um, the the only thing in you know this was this was pretty much brought on from from Amy and Jamie was the proportions of the CRT. Yeah. Um and, and when I it, it it wasn't kind of like um the were too small or a little off. I I eight off on a on a what might have been I'm just gonna get four studs wide existing. Uh, which is wise, it's a pretty big gap. And it, and I think um, you know, that just arose and and they talked about their strategy and kind of kind of what they could have done different. That's just the end result was there was, I think to me, but I think it was eight of width kind of missing on that CRT um in the in the way that it was proportioned. Um, yeah. I mentioned just that that compound, just the comp of those vintage televisions that I grew up with, um, you know, I really just throw my hands up and screamed and bailed and ran for the, ran for the hills uh, because <laughs> I don't know how to solve that. Um, yeah. Other than just putting them in there and just try to throw elements and bow it out. But even that is not too great. I don't think. Uh, yeah. But yeah. That's, I think all I have to contribute to, to, to the television. <laughs> no, I mean, you make some great points. Like the, the ratio screen was definitely the thing that stood out to me right away. And I think it's interesting because, you know, there was also like a lot of weak dimensionality to the front panel where the TV X wide, then it's a tiny bit to where like the actual, like, um, like the black part sort of protruded out. And then the TV itself also protruded out a little bit with the gray, silver, you know, kind of uh, panel lines that went around it. So, I think that, that those are all those like half stud depth differences that sort of really stand out. But I think that the hard part was, is like we talked about with the camera is, you know, to get those thicknesses or really thinnesses of the details of the TV is really hard to accomplish with the plates. And I think that 
you know, where Allison and Melanie yeah. may have had thicker lines, they also had very complete lines. Like we talked about that front part of the lens that, you know, that gray line went all the way around and it was totally seamless. Whereas at, in this one, at every corner of the box around the screen and a control panel, you saw the disjointedness of that gray line. And I think that's like what just, you know, it, and, and you can tell it's a time thing because you, you know, the amount of like snot works and, and half studs and little things you'd have to do to get it to fit perfectly. They just didn't have time for. Well, it was also a sequencing problem. So when I was thinking like, how would I build myself out of this? I had no good answer simply because <laughs> it appeared that they went for the cabinet and then went inwards. Whereas, you know, in the, I'll call it the Amy approach because I have no other way of referencing <laughs> it. But if you start with the TV screen and the control, and you get those proportional, you could at least cheat the cabinet a bit wider. Proportionally, it would look accurate, even though it wasn't precisely the same cabinet dimensions. But if you think about if you build the back and you lock in the cabinet, and because thickness is set, as you keep fill infilling those incrementals, you, you're going to wind up with that swish. So yeah, I, I don't, I, I just think it was like literally one of those decisions that had cascading consequences like i talked about there was no way to build yourself out of that trap and you can't pivot because there's no time left yeah so it well was said. just it was just a what was the series it's a series of unfortunate events absolutely you know, kind of correct for it once you have progression set up um, which is really unfortunate so it wasn't if i was in their position yeah i would have gotten i i would have had the exact same things happen in the exact same way Absolutely. Brian, what was your th I don't have too much to add. Um, Moto covered so much, but I I will say that I, I really love the ambition of trying to get that thin gray line all the way around the TV with just a single layer. So hard to do. It makes me think of that like brick tech where you try to do it all on si with sideways facing plates and yeah. transfer the angles. It's just really hard to do. I was really impressed that they go all the way around and I love the dials on the front uh, how the the little uh, flat section is stuck in between the rounded plate studs you know and it's, it's jutting out that way it was really clever um yeah I thought there there was a lot to love in terms of just the the detail execution in this and I think like like we mentioned it all came down to the screen and uh, something that that did immediately jump out to me on the screen which maybe we touched on before is just that some of the bricks weren't completely pressed down together, which is a time related issue. You know, as you're racing to finish at the end, you're not pressing all those bricks down, but when a screen is such a flat surface that you want to be mirror, like any gap is going to uh, stand out uh, in, in kind of a, a way that takes you out of the illusion. So I, I think that that stood out to me, but as Moto mentioned, the back of the TV, really well executed. I love how they propped it up on an angle just as the real TV yeah. was so slightly shifted up uh, at a slight angle. I thought that was really well done. Um, yeah, I thought there, there was a lot that was great and it seems like the screen, there just wasn't enough time. And and if they were able to get that screen right, I thought this would have been a really strong build. So it was just that one critical element. Unfortunately, it was the element that you see right away when you're looking at it in the room. Because if there were elements in the back that, you know, they didn't have time for, wouldn't be the same. But unfortunately, the screen is kind of the star of the show and it's a TV. Um, but but yeah, props to them. There, there was a lot of good stuff here, but unfortunately, it didn't quite come together in the way that some of the other builds did. Absolutely.
Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And it wasn't because it wasn't a pretty strong showing. It's just like Moto said, when one thing doesn't make another thing line up, doesn't make another thing, it it it, it starts to f- fall apart a little bit, even though the build is pretty solid, you know, just the illusion falls apart. But why don't we move on then to our final build, which was Nina and Sam. They're already safe because of the golden brick. So really how this judging occurs doesn't matter. But of course, we have to talk about it, which was the nine by 12 rug. And so, Brian, you know, what was your thoughts seeing the massive, you know, build as it finally came together? My only thought was like the cameramen, like like when they put that rug in the build there, you know, and maybe even the chair, they never thought anyone would ever. No person who designed the challenge, no set designer, no nothing ever thought they would pick any of these things. And so to see how they had to film it, you know, was probably a new challenge for the camera team to figure out. But Brian, what did you think about it? So true. They're probably having to rig that in a way that they never thought they would with that over the top view that you're never doing <laughs> with any Lego Masters build. They, you know, they do have this really large jib arm that's on the set that I imagine that's probably what they use. And they prop that up, tilted the camera down. And I'm sure that all the camera, we've never done this angle on the show before. <laughs> what are we doing? They have to light it from the top. Yeah. It's just, I'm, you're right. I, I didn't think about that until now, but yeah, so true. Um, I was honestly really impressed with how this came together. Um, as, as a one-to-one, not perfect, as we talked about, the, yep. the dimensions are not there. You know, it's it's just not one-to-one. But for what they did accomplish in the time, I'm amazed like that they were able to put so much together. And the, the patterning is really clear. You can see all of the colors. Um, the colors, you know, they didn't like match the rug exactly because there was such a level of intricate detail on that rug that was nearly impossible to get out of out of Lego. But I thought they did a really good job with getting the core essence of the design down. Uh, they used, yeah, really great colors. Uh, I The one thing that I kept thinking about was, are these all unattached base plates? Are they all base plates that were intended to be moved one at a time over to the final display area <laughs> or were they attached in some way? I'm not sure because we did see they were definitely the the flimsy base plates. They were not like, you know, like that's what that's all they could do with the time. So, and, and when Will was picking them up, you know, we'll get to that later at the end, we did see that a lot of them were unattached. So it just had me thinking about the transfer process that this must have been crazy, picking each one up and then putting them together like this big mosaic uh, is kind of wild. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really great. I noticed a few studs were missing uh, in it when yeah. they, I, they showed a few like shots where you could see the full plane of the rug. I was like, oh, they didn't fill in every gap. That would have been nice if it was filled in. But a rug has texture, so you can kind of write it off that way, you know, maybe just the texture <laughs> of the rug. Um, but but yeah, you know, as you can tell I like thought this this came out surprisingly great given how ambitious it was and how crazy of a choice it was. Uh, it was a completed model that that actually replicated what it was trying to, just not at the scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just like a silly thought because like to, the only way you could have even gotten close to the pattern was to build only with plates on their side. And you'd have to do such insane math to get everything, you know, it studs oh. in every direction, you know, even even to get close and you would never get it right. Um, so there was always going to be an approximation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but this almost looked like to me, like the Minecraft version of a pixel, you know, like Persian rug, you know, because they had to sort of like scale up a lot of the details. But to your point, they had some of that essence. But then when you start to because it's pixel art, it's a little bit easy also to know when the pattern breaks. So like 
in the lower left you know, corner, about in the corner, there was like a red part of the board. There was in the lowest uh, uh, left side, there was um, there wasn't like the, the same diagonal line in the light blue. You know, so there's a couple of those moments where you're like, I know they didn't finish it, but it would have it would have been nice if at least what they finished was perfect. Um, you know, but that's, of course, getting very nitpicky. But Moto, what did you think? Just. I'm just stunned that there was a rug. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, the left hand corner wasn't in, was incomplete by the end. But the rest of it, it, you know, he had the border. He had that Mandela Mandela looking centerpiece component roughly drafted. And even though the the part in between was just solid color, it was complete enough to the point where it looked like a rug. And it had the scale of, no, it wasn't a 9 by 12 rug, but it was a rug. Um, so that just kind of let it was complete. Um, just was, and then you brought about this, but was more around the logistics of production <laughs> of how long or who had to stage that rug back into the office from yeah. its completion place to where they use you're right Brian the technocrane the technoboom to the do you like how much time were out of the studio while they tried to move that thing into place or <laughs> they had the builders helper that must have just taken forever on the production to just um and, you know as a casual view about those those production sides but that was just boggled my mind on how to get that many base plates separated and peel and then you got to relaminate them and getting them all square and perfect and and once will sat in the chair you could just see everything kind of fray apart which what it was like to move this thing. But <laughs> yeah, the logistics behind the scale of it to get it in a file complete to where it had a pattern just. Absolutely. So, so man, Nina and Sam, you guys are like when it comes to that BPM. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we move on then to the end of the judging where we kick off the part of the competition with the special guest. The doorbell rings and out of the big Lego Masters door, we see dressed to the nines in a long red dress, a big slit up the leg. She's got the black gloves of her. It's season three winner. You know, she was sort of like that classic detective theme, like Jessica Rabbit-esque, you know, outfit here. But of course, it's very fun to see Stacey back. And if you're listening to this podcast, I do have a special interview with Stacey coming up uh, as a result of her being in this episode. I got the chance to interview. That'll be part of our exit interview this week. And, um, you know, the challenge was, can she find all seven objects in just 60 seconds? And Stacy had a hard time. <laughs> she Okay, immediately the TV. Okay, Ryan and Aubrey, you know, she got gotcha. you. Then she says the dartboard. That was not a, a real uh, Lego object. And then, of course, the chair. But she was floundering. She's also like, this is probably her first chance seeing the set and how exciting it was. And like, you know, it's this beautiful detective's office and there's so much to look at in the set dressing. So I imagine she was pretty overwhelmed, even just with the task at hand. But it was very funny to see Will after the fact, how he proved whether these things were Lego or not. You know, where he takes the TV, he chucks it <laughs> at the ground and it shatters the dartboard. He drops it up. Oh, it's real. And then that chair, I think we all sort of wanted to see 
someone sit on Christopher and Robert's chair. So to get to see Will sit on it and it sort of just like crumble under his weight was was really entertaining. Um, and, you know, the the funniest surprise, though, was that she did not realize that the rug was Lego, you know, and it was probably just because it wasn't at eye level. But that was really just like the funniest moment. But, you know, Moto, what did you think of just having Stacy back? You know, is, should we should we be seeing more past contestants or winners or whatever celebrities be part of this judging phase? Uh, I don't want to answer it because I'm a former contestant. So I'm, I was going to say, yeah, they should have me back. They should have Brian <laughs> back. They should have everybody back. But because we'd love to be back. But um, I loved it. It was a great way. Um. Yeah, it was just a a great cameo. And they could have, I mean, they could have gone a different direction, but I just love that the former uh, true, you know, winner, a Lego master coming back to identify Lego belts and pick them out of, of, of the scenery and uh, um, just well done. And, uh, you know, I don't think they gave her enough time. I think 60 seconds is way too short for the amount yeah. of that was packed into that space. Um, she had to find more but, than one every 10 seconds, you know, like, you know, because there's seven objects and only 60 seconds. So yeah, it was, seven it was a seconds. And and I think, you know, the, the ones we've talked about, we're going to get by even if they gave her maybe three minutes. But but yeah, I thought the rug was hysterical. Uh, I, I loved that she was back. I liked that they weren't leaving it up to someone who didn't have a lot of Lego knowledge. Sure. To, on that ice. And, and it, and it kind of gave that chill effect to all the contestants. Or <laughs> all of a sudden the beads of sweat start popping out because like, Oh my God, this person's an AFOL and they're, you know, they've been to conventions and they've seen brick built object, you know, let them sweat it out a bit. I thought, but I also thought it was really fun. And really, of course, well, you know, going on the bells is, is always a fun thing. Uh, <laughs> especially, especially when, when you know he you know the the whole rug reveal so to speak was there and just kind of like uh frisbeeing those base plates on the floor was was really fun yes exactly you know will has been frustrated all episode and so would pick up each of the base plates and chuck it at the ground why did you pick the carpet you know he was so (laughs) furious which was very like it was probably the catharsis that us as audience members sort of needed um uh you know but this is a fun one but of course then there's a top two and a bottom two and you know, I was very curious how they were going to handle, especially the bottom two with Poppy and Ben sort of already being pseudo eliminated this round. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but the, it was sort of a straightforward, you know, top two, bottom two. So top two, we had Emily and Kelly and Paul and Nealita. For Emily and Kelly, they said your detailing was playful. And honestly, your one to one representation really fooled our eye. That's what Jamie said. And Amy for Paul and Nealita said, you pushed yourself and you picked a complex item with that telescope and you totally nailed it. And our winner this time around was Paul and Nilita. And, you know, obviously these are two teams that were sort of middle of the pack to see them both rise to the top. And of course, one of them win. What's your takeaway here from our top two and our winners? Yeah, I thought it was awesome to see. I, I Just as you said, Michael, it's great to see teams that have been in the middle of the pack kind of rise up to, to the top. Speak are always super exciting to see, and it makes it feel more like it's anybody. You know, when you see teams that are kind of upping their game as the competition goes along, you know, start to really feel the heat of the competition even more in any week. That's what you want to see on LEGO Masters. And so I thought that was really exciting. Um, I thought both of these builds were great, and they, they both showed kind of different ways of approaching the challenge. Like you saw, like like we talked about before, picking a smaller object, but doing it really well. You know, I'd say going 
less ambitious in terms of the clarinet, but executing it perfect. And then you saw it going slightly more ambitious with the telescope and also executing it perfectly. And I think that's what pushed the, the telescope over the edge. And uh, yeah, I thought both of these builds were, were really well done, very deserving top two and very deserving winners. So yeah, this was, it was really great to see. Yeah. I mean, Moto, is, do you agree with Brian in terms of like what put Paul and Neolita over the edge? And is there a build that you would sort of give an honorable mention, a third place to, um, if you could? Um, I I think you got me stumped. <laughs> you got, oh, man, that doesn't happen very often. No, I don't. Uh, yeah, I think I think Brian pretty much. Yeah, I'm 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 with you, Brian, all the way. And and uh, you know, some people always question Jamie or Amy's decision making, but I'm not one of those. They they see all. They're all knowing, almost godlike. Uh, eyeballs in the sky from the second floor <laughs> looking on everything um but no i i think uh, brian I, I think you're spot on and i i i i honestly don't know what what i would have done well it's I, fine I mean, it's I'm all good my notes and i'm just like i don't you got me you actually stumped me good job <laughs> well listen that's what they come here for i don't have a third place <laughs> well listen like you said the judges really nailed it this time so there didn't need to be a third place but there was of course when there's a top two, there's a bottom two. And this time it was Aubrey and Ryan and Allison and Melanie. And, you know, for Aubrey and Ryan, they said, you really showed us some clever building techniques on your TV, Jamie said. Unfortunately, when it came down to the one most important detail, the screen, it just lacked the curvature that we needed you to create. And for Allison and Melanie, Amy went on to say, the item you chose was smaller and simpler than many of the other teams. And this is definitely not the time in the competition to be playing it safe. And so, uh, unfortunately, the one that went home this week was Aubrey and Ryan. And I was totally expecting them to say, and since we already said goodbye to a team this week, no one's going home. So, you know, clearly the show has sort of accounted for this. You know, maybe there would have been a double elimination or maybe now there's going to be two non-eliminations or maybe, you know, they must have some plan for it. Maybe there'll be a judge's save or some other component. Um, But Moda, what was your takeaway with Aubrey and Ryan here as the team, unfortunately, were saying goodbye to this time? Um, well, it was rough. And the reasons it's rough is just to repeat myself, it's the smallest of decisions that had compound interest that led them to be going home. Um, and in retrospect, you know, I was eliminated partly because of that. It was early decisions, you know, you have to make on the spot and they just accumulate to the point where you can't build yourself out of it. Yeah. And I know it's tough, but, but they're exceptional builders. I, you know, I commiserate with you. I have been there. Um, but don't lose faith that it was that you weren't skilled and that's what sent you home that wasn't it um because everything you built on the backside of the tv was dead on you had it going really well it's just that the sequencing and the object you chose those slight little decisions just had their consequences and um that is a that's a tough loss you yeah know, because it wasn't an obvious uh, what do I want to say? It wasn't. An, it wasn't an obvious error where you could you could point and say this was a huge mistake that that sent me home. Yeah, right. Those little things, those little abrasions that just added up. Absolutely, me, in my opinion, and that, and that's uh, that's unfortunate to 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 lose a team. But all these teams, like you said, they're jumping. Their 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 pole positions are ever changing. It's chaotic, and I know you, you've. You asked other people earlier in these earlier podcasts, you know, who's your favorite team? Who do you think's ahead? And I can't tell you. It's all over the place <laughs> because these guys are 
uh, you know, we're seeing strong teams, middle teams become incredibly strong, strong teams are, are descending. And, and it's these, we're getting to these challenges once you get past the midpoint where it's ever diminishing slight mistakes ha have big consequences and little slip ups can cost you. So um, I think that's where we're at. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I, I don't know if you ever have seen them pointed out, but Will says in their goodbye, sadly, even though you won last week, your Lego Masters journey ends here. And it was just, it was a little strange to hear Will say that out loud to sort of be like, oh, remember when you won last week? Well, you know, but in some ways, I think to your point earlier, Moto, about the judges always getting it right, it does go to show you that just because you were on an upward trajectory doesn't mean that just, you know, it, it sort of, for me, further solidifies that if, if they really truly believe that you didn't have the best build of the day, it doesn't matter that you won last week. You know, it's sort of challenge by challenge. If it's not your day, it's not your day. But Brian, you know, what are your parting words as we say goodbye to Aubrey and Ryan? Yeah, uh, I, I thought what, what you just mentioned, Michael, really stuck with me, too, of just having won last week and winning tickets to Las Vegas. Yeah. Know, great thing to walk <laughs> out of the show with, you know, it's awesome. Lego Masters almost never has prizes like that. So that's very cool that they get a walk out of the show with something. Most contestants can't say that. So that's really awesome. Um, and, and yeah, how it's it's anyone's game from week to week. Uh, and and this week, unfortunately, it just didn't come together. But I thought Aubrey and Ryan did a really great job on the show. I really loved their, their kind of mellow, kind presence on the show. It was just very welcome to see. I, I always love to, to see these teams that you can tell really care about each other. That, you know, they're not really ones to have harsh words, you know, or, or <laughs> are, you know, like extremely competitive. You know, maybe I'm partial to it because I feel like my sister and I weren't ones to yep. you know, <laughs> have harsh words with anybody. <laughs> on the show. So I, I, I really, uh, I really love the energy that they brought to the show. That that kind of um, warm kindness um, made them just a joy to watch and really enjoyed the builds that they made. And uh, yeah, like I said, they got to go to Vegas. How awesome is that? So, you know, I, I think that hopefully they, they uh, can look back really proudly uh, on their Lego Masters experience and and they should. Uh, and, and yeah, I wish them all the best and look forward to hopefully getting to meet them at a convention or a Lego event in the future. Yeah, I was going to say, Brian, these are, wouldn't you, I mean, I want to see these guys bring some stuff to conventions. This is where I'm excited, you know, in their post- yeah. Lego Masters Life. These are guys I want to I want to hang out with and and really sit next to and look at their belts. I think it's going to be so. I hope to see them in the conventions. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, such a such an amazing team. You know, they they definitely made their family proud, and they had that really tender moment at the end where they sort of said they were proud of each other. And you know, that's what you want to see too is those emotional moments. And so, you know, goodbye to Aubrey and Ryan, but you know, certainly your amazing builds and you know everything you're able to do on the show, you should be so proud of. But of course, we then move on to the next episode. And you know, Will says, who wants to make something hot? Your challenge is to design and build functional life-size designer bags. And we see this unbelievable photo shoot. We see Alex in like some sort of a speedo situation. And you know, Moto and Brian, you know, you both this is this is reminiscent, of course, of the Hats Incredible Challenge. It's a wearable, you know, Lego item challenge. But thankfully, none of you, you know, were the people walking down the aisle. But even if you were, thankfully, you didn't have to do it in scantily clad clothing. But Brian, I'm curious to get your thoughts, you know, as someone who participated in Hats Incredible, 
you know, what do you think about this challenge? Immediate flashbacks to Hats Incredible. Yes, just the second I saw him hearing Will say those words, (laughs) (laughs) passion, you know, it felt like we were walking on set again to the Hats Incredible challenge. So definitely feels like it was inspired by that that fashion-based challenge that we had in our season. And yeah, I am so happy, first of all, that I didn't have to walk down the runway in our season more and knock it out of the park. She did amazing. I'm glad I didn't have to do that. But yeah, to not have to do it in scantily clad clothing on live TV with a huge audience watching, no thank you. So yeah, I think, um, yeah it looks wild. I, I'm very excited. Um, I, I don't think in terms of difficulty, designer bags does not seem initially to be that much of a technical challenge, but I think it's very much an aesthetic challenge. Oh, Moto might be disagreeing with me. See, I, I, oh, I, think, yeah, I, no. I think a bag, unless you're doing something really crazy with it, you, you can definitely find a way to anchor it well around the arm, around the wrist, whatever it may be, and then uh, be able to walk with it down a runway and it becomes more of an aesthetic challenge at that point. That's my own two cents. It seems like Moto might might have another opinion on that. Um, but but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what the teams come up with and how they really bring the fashion next week. Yeah. Well, Moto, let us know your thoughts. You know, what do you think about this as a technical challenge? Well, the podcast listeners could not see me covering my face with my hands because <laughs> wearables is like my kryptonite. And if I was a more emotional person, I would have been triggered hard. But um you know, I've made my peace with the fact that that's what sent us home is a total blowout. Uh, when it comes to wearables, whether it's on your head or whether it's a handbag, uh, I think this is going to wind up being one of those deceptive technical challenges. Um, it's a like a Decepticon. It's it's because <laughs> if you think about a handbag, you can't just like support it from the bottom and just walk around. You're going to have to support all that weight through the straps and hold the straps. Now, I haven't seen the the thing, but that's where my head immediately goes. And so rigging that and getting the 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 forces to work all the way through a bag if you have to walk with it and and you're jiggering it with every step and that impact is going to translate through all the straps into the into the handbag and the weight of it. Um is going to require, you know, some solutioning along with the aesthetic components and whatever else parameters go into it. Um, I do love wearables. I'm excited to watch the challenge. Uh, but having lived through it, uh, I'm just like, the first thought that came to mind is like, oh, God, this is just my kryptonite. This is not <laughs> something I would have enjoyed to walk into and have to do. Yes. And, you know, I think you make an interesting point, because I wonder if that is why it's a photo shoot this time instead of a catwalk, because maybe carrying it, you know, in that sort of way does introduce too many challenges. And so at least this way, the bags can be stationary. But who knows? Um, Because to your point, even if your strap holds strong, you know, if you built those thin walls out of, you know, just regular brick, maybe there's not enough clutch power considering how heavy the bottom of the bag is. Like you could definitely see introducing multiple points of failure here. Not that there's hard ways to solve for that, but I do think that you would have to make sure that your teams were keeping those things in mind. And, you know, uh, Will does say who will win the challenge and land the cover of Brick Chic. And I think to your point earlier, Brian, I hope they bring the fashion. You know, I hope we see avant-garde, really unique designs. And it does seem like they'll probably be influenced by some sort of a parameter. Like it looks like there's all these minifigure characters. So maybe they have to make a bag inspired by that. Or like there definitely seems that they each took a very different approach. And I have to imagine that that's either assigned or randomized or or something like that. Um, that will help inspire those bags. But I am very 
hopeful that we'll see the fashion. Cause I think that really came through in the hats, incredible challenge, especially in the winter mm-hmm. um, with Michelle and Natalie's hat. So I hope we see some high fashion and it looks like there's going to be some drama. You know, Allison, at one point we see her say, we're going to have to redo this as she starts ripping apart the panels of the bag. So there's definitely a lot at stake every episode, but it definitely seems like there's gonna be a lot of drama next one. But like Moto said, we've been talking this season though, about who you're excited about and who you're rooting for in the next episode. So Moto, we'll start with you. Who do you think, you know, has a either a good chance at this challenge or the season? You know, who are you rooting for? I, I, you know, realistically, I've met over a third of these contestants in person. Um, so it's not exactly appropriate to pick favorites, but just honestly, I can't pick them because we're we're seeing someone going from top to gone in this episode. We've seen um, you know, folks who are struggling early on or are obviously, like we said, their their stars rising, they're getting better, they're obviously learning from their experience and they're improving dramatically. It's just uh it's it, there's just too much noise in the signal for me to figure out how these teams are gonna do. Sure. And and um I can't call it. I have no idea. It's just I think I'm just going to be perplexed. I'm just going to, it's kind of like walking into a movie. I don't want to have my own script in my head. You know, there's professionals who are doing the writing for the movie. I just want to sit (laughs) back and enjoy what I'm watching. And that's part of this whole unscripted uh, competition is it has all these just crazy surprises, like just the rug alone. (laughs) <laughs> like I, no one's, I would not have called that. I don't think anybody would have called that. Um, so it's the unexpected that I'm finding a lot of joy in this season uh, as I watch. So no, I don't have any favorites and I, I certainly can't predict what the heck's going to happen. I have no idea, but I'm yeah. enjoying the fact that I have no idea. <laughs> I think that's when it's your point. It's most fun, you know? And I think like on your season, you know, we definitely saw a lot of trading of challenge wins, you know, like season one, I was going back and looking at it. And like Boone and and Mark and Tyler and Amy won all but maybe two challenges between the two of them, which is wild to think because um, because there were so many characters that season. But with your season, there was a lot more trading of wins. And that and I think that's when the season gets fun, you know, and so I, I'm very curious to see that. And I, I'm also curious to see, you know, how the teams come back from this challenge. You know, how do Nina and Sam do when they don't have the golden brick, you know, when they've learned the lessons from this, you know, clearly they've got a great design aesthetic, you know, what they're able to do with the rug may actually help them in a fashion challenge. Um, and similarly, Allison and Melanie, they were criticized on not going ambitious enough. Will we see them, you know, I'm worried they're going to get overwhelmed by this, but, w- but will we see them rise to that occasion? You know, Brian, whether it's a team you're rooting for or just something you're excited to see, you know, what's your thoughts as we go into the next episode and the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I echo the same thoughts as, as Moto. I, I think it, it could be anyone's game and that makes for great TV. That's what we love. And I, I also, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing as you, Michael, that, you know, season two, we were trading wins. I don't think there was a repeat win until like episode six of, of our season. You know, it was just trading. And, and I think that can make it really exciting when you don't know who it's going to be. And I think we're feeling some of that now at this point in the competition. I think early on, we were seeing some teams really pull ahead, you know, with multiple wins yeah. back, back, back. And then now it's starting to not feel that way anymore. And I think that's really exciting to see because it just makes for a more compelling, dynamic competition. Um, so I'm stoked for that. The other thing that I'm really excited about is seeing a lot of teams take big risks, which you don't always see. And this season, we've yeah. seen some crazy risks. The carpet is maybe one of the biggest risks I think we've ever seen on Lego Masters. So <laughs> I think just to to see teams that are 
uh, feeling free to kind of like play loose with the with the the show, so to speak, and not like be too stuck into we have to play it safe, we have to win, we have to do what we know we're good at, and seeing teams just like go for it and just make something crazy, I think is really fun to see, and I hope that continues during during the rest of the season because I'm always here for that. Yeah, I, I think it just makes for a great Lego Master season to watch. Well, very well said, and it makes me even more excited to watch the next episode, but that also brings us to the end of our podcast. So I just want to say thank you to the two of you. I mean, obviously, I, I like to consider us already buds, but it's great to have my buds back for another unbelievable podcast together. So thank you very genuinely. But of course, everyone is going to feel the same way I do, and they're going to want to stay in touch with you after this episode. So Moto, you know, what have you been up to and where can people, you know, find what you're doing? Uh, Moto.lego on Instagram. That's where you can start. Uh, and then from there, you can find all sorts of weird, strange places that I <laughs> hibernate or exist on the internets. And uh, what am I up to? I just, I'm I'm a builder's builder. I just, I build. That's what I do. <laughs> um, when I'm not doing Halloween cosplay for a month off, I'm building. So now that Halloween is, has has passed me by, I'm excited to, to get back and uh, build some crazy weird stuff and uh if you're at a you know a, sh a convention like brick world chicago uh see if i'm there and if i'm there please say hi because i love i just love meeting people who love the show and are excited about uh mock building and anything else and i love hanging out so that's where you can find me amazing well brian you know let everyone know what you're up to and where they can find you yeah like like moto i have been building uh, i've also been been writing a lot and i've been directing a little bit so i've been kind of you know, those are the, the things that i like to do in my spare time and uh uh yeah i've been going to conventions a lot more it's been a big part of my life in the last couple of years uh, and it's a new part I, to me it still seems new you know going to the conventions <laughs> i love them so i i would strongly encourage uh anybody to to check out the the lego a full convention scene it's it's really worth your time when you meet amazing people and see some amazing, amazing builds. Um, so I've been loving that. Um, yeah, and you can find uh, my my builds and my films on my website, uh, brianperks.com. And uh, on Instagram, I am brianbuilds uh, with an underscore. Perfect. Well, definitely check out what these two are up to because they always have some fun things cooking. And um, and listen, if you want to put me in your next project, Brian, you know, whatever. Um, but no, all jokes aside, thanks so much to the two of you. It's always a pleasure. And this one, you know, did not disappoint. I never thought it would, but it definitely didn't. So thanks again. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. You know, it's it's I'm just honored that you you asked me on. Uh, and it's always a it's a pleasure to serve at the at the uh, feet of the crown of the king. So, you know, I'm honored to be here. Oh my gosh. I, I'm, you guys are the Lego masters. I'm, I'm the nothing master. Um, but I, I am just so grateful and the pleasure is truly all mine. So thanks again. You're welcome. It was so much fun to get to sit down with Moto and Brian and break down the builds from such a unique challenge. Plus, I can't wait to see how all these designer handbags turn out next episode and the shenanigans with the photo shoot. So be sure to stay tuned because coming up next in your feed, I've got my exit interview with Aubrey and Ryan. Plus, like I mentioned, I'll also be able to sit down with Stacey 
Stacey to get her thoughts on being on set. And I'll also be sitting down with Poppy and Ben to say a proper goodbye to this amazing team. So it's a jam-packed exit interview this week, and of course, we'll be back next Saturday to break down episode 7 with another panel of your favorite former LEGO Masters. And if you're still listening, you probably liked what you heard, so be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. So if you want to follow along with the podcast, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to it now. If you want even more LEGO content, be sure to check out my YouTube channel, Talk Bricks, where I cover the LEGO news for the week every Saturday. And you can follow the channel on all social media platforms with the username at Talk Bricks. And if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, it's Talk Bricks Masters. And on Twitter, it's TB Masters. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time. 